Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. It's time for you to start making more money. Find out about the low-risk, wealth-building method millionaires use. They invest in real estate. And now in Philadelphia, you've got real estate riches. We show you how to acquire a couple million dollars in assets and have a $100,000 a year income within the next 10, 15 years. I just follow the program. I follow all the steps that everything you're supposed to do, and I wound up right before Christmas with $16,000 extra dollars in my pocket. You already know that real estate is a smart part of any balanced investing portfolio. It's like a stock that pays dividends while it continues to appreciate producing an eventual capital gain. We get our dividends from rent and our capital gains when we sell. Why waste money on useless books and tapes when you have real estate riches right here in Philly? Our workshops are free. Leave your checkbook at home. But seating is limited, so you must call 267-231-3920. That's 267-231-3920. Or register online at realestateriches.com. The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Welcome to Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom with your host, psychologist Parthenia Izzard. Parthenia is a psychologist and certified natural health care practitioner who will show you alternative paths toward health with a holistic approach. Call with your questions or comments at 610-664-4100. Now here's the host of Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom, psychologist Parthenia Izzard. Well, good morning to those of you listening to our live broadcast today, September 9, 2006. And good day to those of you listening to a rebroadcast some other time. You're listening to Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom with me, psychologist Parthenia Izzard, at WWDB 860 on the AM dial. On this program, we discuss alternative medicine therapies and related products and issues. Only try the therapies shared here after consulting with your physician. Last Saturday, our guest was George Eckrich from Dr. Cracker. At that show's end, we discussed the herb baldo and the yoga sana uttatasana. If you missed that show, you can go to our website at www. AMTherapies.com, click on the radio show link, scroll down to the show you want, and click the button under it to listen to the show. If you want to set up an appointment with me, call 610-687-6184. For general information, call 610-660-7710. Later, when we open the phone lines, call 610-664-4100 to ask a question of our guest. Our guest today is Rwandan war survivor Immaculate Ilibagiza, author of Left to Tell. It's about her journey during, before, during, uh, before, during, and after hiding with seven women in a small bathroom for 91 days. At the end of that, today's program, we will discuss the herb Boneset and the Yoga Asana Parighasana. Now it's time for our wellness news. According to Lahas, L-O-H-A-S, weekly newsletter, uh, authored by AlternativeMedicine.com, 
Whole grains prove vital to older adults. A new study shows that older adults who eat whole grains uh, instead of refined grain products may be at low risk of having health conditions that can lead to diabetes and heart disease. In addition, they have a lower mortality rate from a cardiovascular disease than people who don't eat whole grain. Led by University of Maryland Assistant Professor Nadine Zahoyan, the study looked at how eating whole grain foods affects the metabolism syndrome of older adults. Metabolic syndrome is a condition characterized by disturbed glucose and insulin metabolism, central obesity, and hypertension. The study, which will appear in the January, well, which appeared in the January edition of the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, looked at three-day food diaries of more than 500 people aged 60 and older. The Hoyans group found those who consumed more whole grains were at significantly lower risk of having metabolic syndrome. There have been studies that show the benefits for a middle-aged population, said Sahoyan, assistant professor in Maryland's Department of Nutrition and Food Science. Quote, ours is the first study that shows the relationship between eating whole grains and the health benefits for older people whose metabolic characteristics may be different from younger adults. End quote. Metabolic syndrome, which is linked to increased risk of diabetes and cardiovascular disease, is increasing in the United States. It's, in, it's estimated that 40% of men and 51% of women over 60 are affected with metabolic syndrome. In a group whose average age was 72 for men and 73 for women, the study found that subjects who daily consumed about three servings of whole grain, such as whole grain bread, cereal, and brown rice, had a lower prevalence of metabolic syndrome than people who ate less than one serving a day. The U.S. Dietary Guidelines for Americans recommends that all people consume three or more ounces or the equivalent of whole grain products a day. Whole grain products contain fiber, vitamins, minerals, and other things that are removed during refining, said Sahoyan. We recommend that whole grain, and this again is Sahoyan, uh, intake should start from a very young age to develop a healthy lifestyle. Cardiovascular changes and diabetes risk are starting to occur earlier now, especially due to obesity, the, the obesity epidemic. Something to think about for our older population. Okay, as I told you last week uh, and earlier today, our guest is Il Immaculate Ilibagiza. Immaculate was born in Rwanda and studied electronic and mechanical engineering at the National University of Rwanda. Her life transformed dramatically in 1994 during the Rwanda genocide when she and seven other women huddled silently together in a cramped bathroom of a local pastor's house for 91 days. During this horrific ordeal, Immaculate lost most of her family, but she survived to share the story and her miraculous transition into forgiveness and a profound relationship with God. Four years later, she emerged from Rwanda to the United States and began working for the United Nations in New York City. I'm sorry, she immigrated. She has since established uh, the Left to Tell Charitable Fund to help others heal from the long-term effects of genocide and war. Immaculate, now 36, lives in Long Island with her husband and their two children. Left to Tell is Immaculate's first book. One thing I want to say that um, 
Despite the events inspiring, inspiring in Immaculate's book, it is nonetheless a positive book about hope. Um, good morning, Immaculate. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Good morning. And thank you for agreeing to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, when your publicist suggested having you as a guest, and I thought, I thought yes, for sure, because, I mean, our program is about wellness, wholeness, and wisdom related to alternative medicine therapies and such, but the wisdom that you share about an alternative to hate uh, revenge and anger uh, during and after negative events like yours it certainly falls within the purview of what our program is about. Thank you um, for what you do. That's so nice to help people. Wow. Well, thank you. Um, to start out, could you share with us what your life was like as a child? Um, did you grow up in Rwanda and, and what that was like? Yeah, that's right. I grew up in Rwanda in a small village called Mataba around a lake, a huge lake. It seemed like a sea to me (laughs) when I was growing up. Mm. So I grew up with my three brothers and my mom and dad. And, you know, and we had so many neighbors. Rwanda is a very populated country. Most populated maybe in in Rwanda, in in Africa. But it is a tiny country also, the size of Maryland, actually. Mm. Yeah. But we had about 8 million before the genocide. So when I I was growing up, everything was good. I played with my, you know, my neighbors. We had a good time. My parents were Catholic and they prayed a lot. So we we talked about God, about good things were going on in the country, listening to news. But never they never told us about the hatred that was going on between the two main tribes, Hutu and Tutsis. We played with everybody. We had Tutsis, Hutu and Tutsis coming to visit us every day. I felt really loved by everybody in the village. I, nothing ever prepared me to what was coming. And, you know, Rwanda, again, is really, like, you have a very nice weather. It is almost always spring. Mm-hmm. So we, we, I just grew up really having a good time, having flowers all around or throughout the year. It was a good life, as I remember it. Well, now, before we get too much uh, further into the interview, your name is so beautiful and so unique. Uh, can you share some of the meaning behind your name? That's right, Immaculate Bagiza. Another thing I want to say is that in Rwanda, everybody has a different last name in the family. So we don't take the names of the parents, like here. So mm-hmm. the father would normally... After seven days, the child was born. We wake up in the morning as a tradition, and they give a name that comes from his heart to the to the child. It will always be the father who named the child, even if it's the mother who suggests to the father what is the name. Mm-hmm. So immaculate, like you understand, it is really immaculate. They named it after the Blessed Mother, Virgin Mary. Oh my, pure! Right. <laughs> it was a great wish from my parents for me to be. And Ilibagiza means something beautiful in the body and soul, like mm-hmm. really shining. The really meaning of Ilibagiza and Kenya Rwanda is this thing that is so beautiful that will make people forget about where they were going. <laughs> mm. I think it's very important, uh, the names we give our children, because they do, I think, have a, a, almost a a predictive effect on how that child is going to develop and what they may accomplish in I their think, life. 
I think so, because when I was growing up, everybody was like, your dad named you that? He must love you so much. Now we have, yes, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, he must love you so much. So it can't remind you of that. You know, you are loved. You know, somebody cared so much about you. And you have something, uh, an expectation, almost that you feel you must live up to. Uh, It's got to be inspiring. Um, before we go to break, which we'll do in about 30 seconds, where exactly is Rwanda for those who are not familiar with the African continent? That's right. It, Rwanda is located in the central east part of Africa. It is near Congo. You know, this, yeah, those are the neighbor's country, Congo, Burundi, those who know Uganda. We are just 30 minutes away from Uganda, the capital, and Tanzania. So those who know Kenya, Nairobi, it is not far from them. Okay, very good. Thank you. Uh, You're listening to Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom with me, psychologist Parthenia Izzard. Our program is sponsored by Alternative Medicine Therapies. My main office is in the Tubala Plaza Building, Suite 300 in Balakinwa, Pennsylvania. Visit our website at www.amtherapies.com or call the office at 610-687-6184. Stay tuned for our return with Immaculee Ilibagiza, author of Left to Tell, about her journey before, during, and after hiding with seven women in a small bathroom for 91 days in Rwanda. Why should you passively exist with backaches, allergies, PMS, colds, flu, and other ailments? It's time to take charge of your life with preventive measures. Contact Alternative Medicine Therapies at 610-660-7710 for an initial consultation. Alternative Medicine Therapies offers a holistic approach to preventive care, unlike conventional medicine that tries to correct the illness that exists instead of preventing it altogether. Don't let anyone tell you that your situation is hopeless. Alternative medicine therapies like iridology, kinesiology, reflexology, energy medicine, which includes chi light therapy, acupressure, and psychological consultations has an amazing track record of positive results. Why suffer when alternative medicine therapies with psychologist Parthenia Izzard is here to help? Contact Alternative Medicine Therapies today for an initial consultation at 610-660-7710 and visit their website at www.amtherapies.com. And don't miss Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom, psychologist Parthenia Izzard's radio program each Saturday morning at 8 on AM860 WWDB. Don't passively exist with backaches, allergies, PMS, cold, flu, and other ailments. Listen to me, Parthenia Izzard, every Saturday morning at 8 for Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom. I am a local natural health care practitioner and psychologist. I will show you alternative paths toward health with a holistic approach. Don't miss Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom with me, Parthenia Izzard, every Saturday morning at 8, only on AM 860 WWDB. Welcome back. You're listening to Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom with me, psychologist Parthenia Izzard. You visit our website to participate in my blog. That's one way I get your feedback. Today, we're talking with Immaculee Ilibagiza, author of Left to Tell, about her journey before, during, and after um, hiding with seven women in a small bathroom for 91 days. Um, 
uh, Immaculate, this is going to be such a challenge. I do not want to mess up your name at all. I'm breathing before I say it each time, and I'm very concerned about it, but so far, so good. Um, I would like you to briefly tell us um, something about your life prior to uh, the incidents that you share in your book. My life before was... What was going on, you know, with you that year before? That year before. I was in university my last year doing mechanical engineering and electrical engineering. I mean, I was in university, of course, like all students, you know, having a good time, (laughs) forgetting, ignoring the world, and sometimes voicing the injustice that was going on. And the students... They, did never, they didn't like at all what was going on in the country because, they were, you know, like my, the people of my tribe, which they have, you know, I still feel so bad that they have made a big deal just between this little thing they called tribe. Mm-hmm. You couldn't find a school if you are Tutsi. You could, it was so hard to find a job. And you look like it's just a little thing they put in identity card and they will put you at Tutsi and another one is a Hutu. Could you tell us, give us a little about a little bit about the breakdown of the ethnic situation or the ethnic divide in Rwanda? Yeah, you know we have actually two main tribes. It is Tutsi and Hutu. And before that, they said that the Hutus were about eighty-five percent and Tutsis were fifteen percent. Mm-hmm. But you know, some people, other people say it was also a way of making them minority, so they would take a lot of privileges from them. Mm-hmm. So if you go to school. They said they have 10 places in school. It was a law from the government that they have to accept one Tutsi and nine Hutus, mm-hmm. even if you have passed the exam. Wow. So, yeah, it was something like that. And the background of that, it really started by the time of colonialization in 1900, when the Belgians took over the country to colonize it. And they said they wanted to organize the country, and they divided people in two tribes. I don't know what happened for whoever was there and caused these two tribes to almost fight together. Mm-hmm. You know, like for power, mm-hmm. they will elect, and then they cause this kind of, you know, this brother thing, like jealousy, and it grew. It grew, it became so bad that then they would try now to kill the people of the other tribe so that they would never win over the power, like the election. So it was something, it started a long time like that. Mm-hmm. And in 1959, 1973, they had wars that they killed the main people from Tutsi tribe who have gone to school. So what happened in 1994 was completely something new to eliminate everybody. Before it was just to target people who have gone to school, who have degrees, you know, just so they would not have competition. And then it happened like that. So the year before the whole thing happened, we had this radio. I never forgot about it. People called it hate radio, but the name was Artelem. This radio, later I knew that it was sponsored by the president at that time, by the government, main people in the country. But they used to have these people they called, you know, like these people who used to make themselves like drunk. I don't think they were drunk. That they would come on radio and couldn't even talk because they would pretend they are so drunk. Mm-hmm. And then we start to teach people how to kill Tutsis. Oh my! Yeah, openly, mm-hmm. talking how like we are not the enemies of the country. We are not meant to be in the country. When you kill next time, you have to start with babies. And then they will laugh, laugh, laugh like evil laugh. 
And then people will think, oh, that's a joke. That can never happen. But somehow they educated those who had hatred in their hearts. They taught them what to do. They educated them. They kind you know, helped them. So I remember the pe- person who was in the country, the head of the army of the UN, he was sending messages to the headquarters, asking, telling them that this radio is so bad that they have to stop it. But somehow, I think that everyone took it so easy, like it was never going to materialize. Mm-hmm. So what happened around the world, things were getting really hot because of the radio. The hatred was growing so bad. Everything wrong in the country was being praised. I, again, I remember a time when I passed through the town coming from school, and I saw it, thieves, thieves in the city stealing clothes from people. Oh, yeah, and I remember them stealing this woman. They removed her shoes. They took her bag, and the police were around there, you know, and they took her, her gold chain she had on and her clothes. Thank God she had something inside. And and nobody said anything, even us, normal people. They will tell you, don't say a word. Those people, you know, like they can kill you. And I was like, you know, what is going on? This was not here in three, four years before. But you felt like something was about to explode in the country. There's no way that the evil can be so praised and so late go doing whatever it wants. And no one, there's no justice anymore. That was just a few months before the whole thing exploded. And then the whole thing really started. I remember on the 7th, the 6th of April, 1994, and I got to know the news the morning of the, of the 7th of April when my brother t- came to me and told me that the president was killed the night before. We, we have just heard it from the radio. So we couldn't believe it. And I remember getting up out of, of the bed and telling my brother, look, they are going to kill us. And he couldn't believe it, how I thought about that. I'm like, he said, why do you think they're going to kill us? I told him, don't you see that what we have been talking on radio, now it is going to materialize. We all listened to that radio. They had such good music to attract people. So we were listening to it, just like to hear the jokes. So, But something told me, look, it will happen. It will end up happening. And it was just the beginning of the whole thing. Now, it's, uh, it's very interesting, uh, just to give a little bit about your your character or your personality, uh, even as a young child, uh, you had a special interest. Uh, I don't know if you want to reveal it. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm trying to walk carefully here. I know there's many things in the book that you want people to discover as they read the book. But I thought it was a very interesting item about your youth when you went to visit uh, the priest. Do you want to share that? Yeah. <laughs> that was so cute. About being a nun? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, so, oh my. You know, I grew up really loving God. But somehow, I loved my father, I loved my mom so much, and they prayed. So somehow I felt like, I don't know, when I remember the transformation during the genocide, I wondered if I, I really loved God enough before. But then when I remember when I was a child, I remember doing things that made me feel like I was really, again, looking for him or close to him. Mm-hmm. So I remember when I was about, about was it 13 years old, I had a friend called Jeanette. That was her real name in the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we, 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 we talked so much about the apparition of the Blessed Mother in Fatima because our teacher was telling us about it. And then we were 
all the time talking and about it and said, you know what, maybe we should just become nuns. <laughs> <laughs> and she was so excited. She said, yeah, and we will be in the same coven, you know, the same place. We'll stay friends, and God will be so happy to have us. I thought that was so and, precious. Yeah, and then we traveled almost like eight miles to go to look for the priest to tell him that we are going to be pre- nuns. <laughs> and I told my dad and my mom, my mom was laughing like, oh, you crazy. <laughs> and my dad was like, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was laughing at us too. So we got up in the morning, we traveled through the mountains, went through the one river, and we went to the church so far, and we told the, we made this priest who was such a nice man. Mm. I can never forgot his posture. He had on always this long dress, white, and his rosary on the belt. <laughs> and then we, we made him outside. He said, Father, we want to be nuns. He said, you want to be nuns? <laughs> are you sure? I said, oh, we are very sure. <laughs> Have you talked about it with your parents? I said, yeah, and they support us. <laughs> he was laughing, and then he said, oh, children, you are so happy. I can feel his compassion. And I was, I said, so good. Mm-hmm. And then he blessed us. He blessed us and the father and touched our head. So sweet. And he said, when you are 18 years old, come back, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> Right now, go back and concentrate on your studies. Well, I was disappointed a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was, yeah, because it's always unique to me when little ones are inspired uh, oh, about you. religion and, and the spirit. What from your past inspired you to try prayer to survive or made you feel prayer made a difference? You know what is it really? I think I grew up just seeing my parents praying. As soon as I, I was able to to know what is the diff, you know to remember anything at all, I remember every night we used to kneel down, and we we had a cross on one wall. Everyone, my mom, my dad, my three brothers, we would kneel down and pray. And somehow that moment was so sacred that no one would laugh, no one would do a thing. Mm. So my dad would start the prayers all the time as the father of the family, and when we finished, then we go to sleep. But somehow. Maybe seeing people around us who prayed at really being the best people. And another thing I think is we had really a good priest who loved children. So when we, you know, like when we were growing up, the parties, we had games. You know, I think, I think that was all around the, the church. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe that. But I think it was my parents, of course, because they spoke about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my father, I remember when I went to high school, when I finally I got the scholarship as somebody of my tribe, as a Tutsi, and they told us like I got the scholarship in a in a government school, which was the best schools. My dad was so happy, so happy, and he said, "Let me tell you something. We had a party that night, and he said, I have said the rosary every night for the past two years, just pray, praying for this to happen." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> he never told us the world. So besides praying together, he was praying outside every day. That is something he took an hour to pray for me to get to school. It touched me so much. And he said he's going to offer four masses to thank God, that he promised God he will do that. And he will do other action of loving to help people if I get that school. So, you know, all those things, I can see how much prayer meant to everything that was happening in my family. 
Well, now, what was the metamorphosis, if if you will, um, that you went through in, in that bathroom with those seven women? I know that's a lot to a- ask in a that's right. Yeah, short no, program the, like this. The question again: What what was the process that you went through? The process of change that you went through while you were in that bathroom? Yeah, that's a good question. You know what? I think there is a time when I started. First of all, the first two days, three days, I was so tired. I was I couldn't take it. You know, in life, when you think like this can never happen, mm. that's how I was. And I was so tired. I started to feel like I am such a hero, you know, for somebody who has stayed in these three days in one place. And then I was talking to myself, I would tell my mom how I spent so many days here. You know, she won't believe it. You know, when you're having those fantasies, I still didn't believe what was going on. My father would be so sad to know what happened to me. As though they were living a better life. You know, so mm-hmm. those are the things that like, you think you would talk news. You would tell people what happened to you as mm-hmm. though it is not happening to, to them. Mm-hmm. Then this, the, the, at the end of the week, that spoiled innocence thing was gone. I was mad. I was angry. How can this happen? How can this be the people who were my neighbors? How can people just be so crazy and think that I'm this bad when they loved me? What changed in their lives? Mm-hmm. What changed in their mind? I was mad. I was thinking I would give back. I would never talk to anybody from the other tribe. I would hate them, and I have a good reason. <laughs> so it was all those things that were going on in my mind, maybe for the second week. And then there came a huge change when they started to tell us that they were killing people in the public places, Tutsis, that they were killing them in, in stadiums and churches, and they were destroying them. And now they were starting to search for how in the houses. And it was a law. It was something coming from the ministers, government ministers, that people who love the country should search every house, even those you trust. They should, they should search them to find if there is any Tutsi hiding. That was the killer. That was something that woke me up and said, oh, my God, so I can die. That means they can find us. And I never forgot the day they came. I cannot even describe you the fear when you know that people are coming inside the house. They are five inches away from you, and they can find you. In that instant, I I thought that, look, the pain and the fear is so much. What can I do? What can really save me here? You realize that you don't have your parents anymore around you to protect you, and you thought they were all for you. You don't have even the pastor who was hiding us. He could not even tell people that he has us, or he could not even give them money, at least to keep us alive. He had to tell them that he he can never hide any Tutsi. He took a huge chance. And then they were coming inside the house, and they were searching, and I told myself, I have to grab God. The only thing that is real here is God that can hear me where I was. Very good. Can you hold that thought for me while we go to break? I'm sorry that it had to come at this moment. But again, people, I want you to remember this is about hope and upliftment and overcoming adversity. Uh, you're listening to Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom with me, psychologist Parthenia Izard, and I want you to stay tuned for the rest of our interview with Immaculee Ili Bagiza, author of Left to Tell, about her journey before, during, and after hiding with seven women in a small bathroom for 91 days in Rwanda. 
don't passively exist with backaches, allergies, PMS, cold, flu, and other ailments. Listen to me, Parthenia Izzard, every Saturday morning at 8 for wellness, wholeness, and wisdom. I am a local natural health care practitioner and psychologist. I will show you alternative paths toward health with an holistic approach. Don't miss Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom with me, Parthenia Izzard, every Saturday morning at 8, only on AM 860 WWDB. Why should you passively exist with backaches, allergies, PMS, colds, flu, and other ailments? It's time to take charge of your life with preventive measures. Contact Alternative Medicine Therapies at 610-660-7710 for an initial consultation. Alternative Medicine Therapies offers a holistic approach to preventive care, unlike conventional medicine that tries to correct the illness that exists instead of preventing it altogether. Don't let anyone tell you that your situation is hopeless. Alternative Medicine Therapies like iridology, kinesiology, reflexology, energy medicine, which includes chi light therapy, acupressure, and psychological consultations has an amazing track record of positive results. Why suffer when Alternative Medicine Therapies with psychologist Parthenia Izzard is here to help? Contact Alternative Medicine Therapies today for an initial consultation at 610-660-7710 and visit their website at www.amtherapies.com. And don't miss Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom, psychologist Parthenia Izzard's radio program each Saturday morning at 8 on AM860 WWDB. Welcome back. You're listening to Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom with me, psychologist Parthenia Izzard. Uh, remember, next week our guest will be Benjamin Harrison from Rishi Keys. Today we're talking with Immaculate Imi Bagiza, author of Left to Tell, uh, about her survival of the Rwandan genocide. Um, Immaculate, you have such a soothing, calming voice. It's it's almost mesmerizing as I listen to you. I, it, it takes an effort for me to even realize this is an interview that's going to end at some point. And, uh, you know, just I, I just get so focused with what you're saying. Thank um, you. Please continue. You were talking about at, at that moment you realized that really all you had to, you know, embrace was God. That's right, yeah. So you realize that there's nobody else who can help you there, who you can talk to. And you need somebody. You need protection. You need to, to express what you are feeling. So I told myself, it's only God. The God, as I remember him, as they told us, who he is. He listened from you, from your heart. He reads everything that is going on. And then I remember they said, he's capable to do anything. And somehow, I have the desire to live. I didn't want to die in that fear. I remember asking God, please help me not to die like that. Don't let them find me. And somehow, when you reach in this moment where you want to really trust, really that voice that tells you, who do you think you are? Maybe it doesn't even exist. And I was like, God, I have to exist, you know? And I said, oh my, please help me. And I remember I said, if you exist, please do a miracle that these people will not find us here in the bathroom. Tell you the truth, they searched and searched for two hours, one tiny house, every single place you can imagine, under the beds, suitcases to see if there's any baby hiding. And they reached right the door of that bathroom, and they told the pastor that they trust him, that he will not hide any Tutsi. That was something like, oh, my gosh, you are here. You are listening. And then from that moment, when I see they didn't find us, 
I grabbed his hand. I was always talking to myself, I have to, to remember him. Who is he exactly? And I remember I asked the pastor to give me the Bible, which I didn't read before that much. But from that moment on, I started to read the Bible exactly just to know, again, who is God exactly in my own words, in my own understanding, who is he? And I was trying to understand what he has done in the past. I thought about this man we talk in the Bible, Daniel, in the den of lions. Mm. I told myself, even if they find me, they will not catch me. They will lose strength. They will not see me. You know, I was so sure that if God had done it to another human being, he would do it to me. And, of course, I had so many discouragement, something telling me, oh, he, Daniel was, was a saint. You are nothing. Yeah. You are a sinner. <laughs> and I'm like, but God can forgive me if I have done anything. And I will go on my knees, God forgive me for anything, anything at all, so that at least I can benefit you, your favor here, because I need you more than anything. And another transformation happened when the pastor told us that they will be searching any time, because we thought that we have escaped that first time, and maybe it will never happen again. So maybe that we just have to deal by staying in that bathroom, but not being searched and not facing that fear that burns you like you are dying so slowly. So he told us that they will be coming almost every day. And from that moment, just to wait for them, just to wait for them was like dying slowly. In the Catholic, we talk about, they tell us about purgatory, how the purgatory, you know, where you purify before you go to heaven, mm-hmm. that, you know, you feel like it is, you know, you are, it pains a lot. And I always had a question like, how can my spirit pain? If nobody's beating my body, if my I'm, I'm dead, how can my spirit pain really? But that time I was like, this is purgatory. I am dying slowly, and no one is touching me. Just waiting for the killers to come is that like it was killing me slowly. So we waited for them, and I start. I told myself, I'm going to pray every second of my time here. I will pray so that. These voices that is telling me how things are going to be so bad, maybe they will shut down so I can just say the words in the prayer. And I say the rosary as a Catholic again. I use the prayer of the rosary, and I use the Bible to read the Bible. I mean, like, I never left even one minute without praying. I prayed from 6 o'clock in the morning until 9 o'clock at night when I fell asleep. And during that praying, which was so interesting, during the praying, trying to be sincere to God, every word I said. For example, just the the prayer of our Lord is prayer. When you say, our Father who art in heaven, I wanted to mean every word. Our Father means everybody's Father. And I could not bring myself to believe that even the killers where, the, where God is children. That means he is the Father of everybody. I struggled with that. I don't want to believe that. They cannot be your children. I can't even love them. Because every prayer is about love. Every single prayer is about love, about forgiving. And then when you meditate about the life of Jesus, me as me, at least who believe him as my God, you see him, he was rejected. You know, because there was re- you really go through how he was born, he came into the world, how he was rejected by people, he was crowned with, th- with the thorns on his head, how he carried the cross, and when he died, and said, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they do. And that was something I was doing all throughout the day. And I could not escape those words. 
because they were there in the rosary. It is a set up prayers. You have to go through and try to mean it. And every time I reached those places, I was like, no, I don't want to forgive them. Of course I can't. They might be killing my, my mom, my dad. I cannot forgive them. But as I'm saying those words and I'm praying God to save me, I couldn't escape the meaning of those words. And later I got to understand, look, those people are killing me. There is no way they can understand what they are doing. Exactly that what Jesus meant. He said, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Father, forgive them. There is no way those people can know the mm. pain they were causing me, the pain they were causing to the children I will have if I live to live, if I live. So I understood that, really, when you see people doing wrong to us, the best thing to do is to try to pray for them so that they can be good, because I believe everyone can change. It happened to all of us. Sometimes, you know, we do something, and, and another minute we would say, how can I do that? We would apologize, or we would even regret what we have done. So I was working and actually holding to that, that these people are God's children. God loves them, but he is in pain also that his children are walking away from him, are doing so bad. But for me to be a good child of God, I have to pray for them. And to me, it makes sense, even in the world. When people do wrong, which we all do, what do you want really if you want the world to be in peace? Is it to hate them and just like kill them? Or is it to pray for them so that they can change? So it gave me so much peace. From the time I was angry and I was praying, fighting that I don't want to forgive, I don't want even to pray for them or to think of them as human beings until that moment when I let go and I knew that I will protect myself, of course, from people who do wrong because that evil can still be there in them. But I will pray for them and I will love them in my life. It was a huge step to realize that everybody who do wrong, even them, are God's children and he loves them just as he loves me. So it's not like you're saying what they did was okay, because a lot of people think when you forgive somebody, you're saying what you did was okay. Oh, no. And I'm a, it's, it's not like that at all. At all. And even justice, justice have to go on. If you really care about forgiveness, you just realize that it is that anger, that bitterness that is eating you. You just let go. That's how I felt. Mm-hmm. When I was able to think of them like that, I just felt like, look, I am dealing with somebody who is sick. Somebody who is in a situation, in a state, he has not been able to understand the truth. And for me, it's just like I said, I let go so much anger, and my prayer was reaching God so much easy. I felt like I can command anything, and it will happen. Because I knew somehow you just get this truth that this is what is going on in these people. And the same evil can still be there with them, even when you forgive them. So you still have to protect yourself. You should not make you a victim of somebody who is doing evil. Evil is very strong. I mean, look what happened to Rwanda, killing a million of people. And now, some people have killed. When you approach them, they can't even believe they did it. Some of them are crying for what they have done. And others who are still held in that evil way, they feel that if they come out of the prison, they will finish the job and kill even the remaining Tutsi. Mm. Even for them, I forgive them because I know they don't know what they do. And I will pray for them. I hope one day they will wake up and say, what the heck did I do to my brother? 
But that helps me to let go the anger. And that helps me to leave the room in my heart so that if ever they change, God will inspire me to know that they have really changed and I can be able to embrace them again. Oh, wonderful thought. Wonderful place for us to pause. Uh, you're listening to Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom with me, psychologist Parthenia Izzard. Our program is sponsored by Alternative Medicine Therapies. Uh, my main office is in the Two Valley Plaza Building, Suite 300 in Valley Kingwood, Pennsylvania. Visit our website at www.amtherapies.com or call the office for appointments at 610-687-6184. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.